This is the best podcast. BEST stands for Business, Entrepreneurship, Startups, and Technology. I'm your host, Adam Sokolich, and each week we talk live on social media platforms like Twitter Spaces so that you can stay up to date with the latest news and stories, learn the greatest tools and tactics, and gain some of the best opportunities to connect with new people. Special guests include top founders, CEOs, and experts. Plus, the audience is always full of fascinating people. Even Elon Musk recently tuned in. All of our conversations are educating, entertaining, and engaging with the mission to help you succeed. So follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, tune in live to the best podcast. Let's talk soon. Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Adam Sokolich, also known as the best of live audio, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. And of course, with our special guest, Derek Sivers. Derek, you've joined us on stage. You've downloaded the app. You're here. You're really here. Is that right? And you might be on mute still as well. I see your microphone button still there as well. In the okay, there we go. Sorry. Yeah, can you hear me? I can perfectly hear you, Derek. How are you? Good. And this is, yeah, my first time ever installing a social media app on my phone. Let's, I did it just for you, Adam. Let's set the record straight. That is incredible. Thank you so much, Derek. It's a pleasure to be here with you, especially because I've been following you and paying attention to you and, and reading all of your stuff for so long, but you and I have been talking back and forth on email for almost a year now. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. I am so excited. So this is the way live audio works. The room starts, people will populate in and out throughout the show. Uh, we're going to record it and of course share it afterwards as well. But if you don't mind, I'm going to do a quick introduction for you and then we'll dive in. So do you feel comfortable? Are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Excellent, Derek. All right, folks. Well, I'm so excited to be talking with Derek Sivers today. Derek Sivers is an author of philosophy and entrepreneurship. He's known for his surprisingly quotable insights and pithy, succinct writing style. He's formerly a musician, programmer, TED speaker, and circus performer. He sold his first company, CD Baby, for $22 million and gave it all to charity. His latest books, How to Live, Hell Yeah or No, Your Music and People and Anything You Want are truly incredible. I highly suggest you check them out. And of course, you can check out all of his writing on his website. So Derek, oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure to be talking with you because as I reached out to you a year ago and you were just rolling out your book, How to Live, I've read it. I've read Anything You Want. I've read all of your work. I think you are an amazing storyteller from your music to your startup, to your TED Talks and to your writing, it just seems like some people are born this way. And while others seem to grow into it, it could be that classic nature versus nurture type of thing. So where did you really get the storytelling ability from? Hmm. Um, well, first, thanks. I didn't think of myself as a good storyteller, but I'm fascinated with it. So maybe that rubbed off. Um, I think it's a value system first, right? Like I live in New Zealand now, which has a big farmer culture, right? Like a lot of people moved here in the 1840s uh, to be farmers. And many people that live here are fifth, sixth generation farmers or their parents were, even if they're not. And um, people often don't say much here, right? Like they could have a big adventure, but when you ask them about it, they'll say, Oh, yeah, it was all right. Uh, you know, we hit a snag or two, got it done. <laughs> and that's it, right? So in New Zealand culture, it's culturally valued to be a person of action, not words. But 
the value system of where I grew up in New York City and Los Angeles, uh, storytelling is valued. Mm -hmm. So it might have just been my local culture, but also a personal interest, right? So I personally value it maybe more than most people because I spent 15 formative years of my life from age 14 to 29 being a songwriting musician on stage, right? So songwriting itself, right? It's up to you to make the story, if you can call that a story, or express yourself at least. And um, yeah, I still read books on the craft of making great stories. I think I read two books on the craft of making good stories this year. I'm still fascinated with the subject. Um, If you go to the book list on my website, which is uh, sive.rs slash book, you'll see the last, you know, 340 something books I've read. And um, if you search for the word story, you'll find some amazing books on the craft of making great stories. Yes. And I think as you bring that up, you mentioned, you know, being a musician, you're writing your feelings and your emotions, but you're still telling a story and very much so in the books that you're writing in your TED Talks. Is there something that stood out to you amongst then, uh, amongst all of them? It could be a, whether a trend amongst them or something specific that you walked away from. And here's here's one example for you, Derek. Last year, I had the opportunity to interview 10 of the top TED speakers uh, here in live audio, of course. And so you are one, and it took me a year to get you here. I'm super excited, but it wasn't to ask them to come here and, and to give their TED Talk again. It was actually more of a story of how they got to give their TED Talk. What was it like being on stage? What did they learn? So I can ask you that question about your TED Talk, but more and more importantly, across your career, is there one thing that you've noticed, one thing that you've picked up about storytelling that you think really resonates with you and or your audience? Hmm. Going way back to when I was songwriting, um, I learned a trick which is it helps to use vivid images, right? uh, Using words that people can picture will stick in people's heads more than um, ambiguous terms. Mm -hmm. Um, So instead of just describing how you feel, describe a scene that somebody can imagine, you know, you're standing in the rain, whatever i've been standing in the rain all night or whatever in front of your house and and i watched the the lights turn out and you know people remember a lyric like that more than just oh baby the way you make me feel it's so real Mm -hmm. (laughs) look into my eyes realize so um using vivid images helps with stories too um people really like this story i told once about a bike ride I took on the beach where um, I went on a bicycle ride every day on the Santa Monica beach when I lived in Santa Monica. And I would go as hard and as fast as I can every single day. I would just work myself into a sweat. And the the ride always took me 43 minutes. And uh, after many weeks of this, I felt like quitting. And so I decided to just go on like a chilled, relaxed ride where I put almost no effort into it. And that ride took only 45 minutes, which made me realize that I was wasting a lot of my effort for just two minutes of time improvement. So, um, but when I told that story on my site and later on Tim Ferriss's podcast, I included some colorful details, like how I was just looking around and I saw dolphins in the distance and a pelican shit in my mouth and whatever. <laughs> so it, like year, like 10 years later, people tell me that they remember that story I told about the bike ride. Whereas, like, they might not remember if I had just tried to take that um, 
lesson and turn it into a, an aphorism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Aesop's fables. Aesop's fables went down in history. It's not Aesop's bullet points. It's Aesop's fables. You know, even if if you actually get a book of Aesop's fables, they're often just like, you know, six sentences, right? They're just as short as can be. In fact, they get kind of tedious. If you get a whole book of them, there's like a thousand of them and each one is just six sentences. You know, it gets a little boring after a while. But um, uh, but they went down in history over thousands of years mm -hmm. because they were using images of the fox and the bunny or the, you know, the bear in the woods or whatever it may be. Um, now, I think it's those images make them last. Is Sorry, that something that you have consistently utilized as well. And I'm going to ask that by, by also saying that with your books, which I love how succinct you are, it was every sentence I was fascinated by. It was useful. It was helpful. It was intriguing. And it made me want to read the next sentence, but it was all very succinct. So as you write, are there other skills, other superpowers that you utilize besides vivid imagery or... Uh, techniques, because that can help everyone here in this room. It can help me. It can help everyone else here. That it's just the way that you're able to communicate is so simple. It's almost like <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what it is, but I've heard you say that you do pay a lot of attention to that. How do you do that? Is there something unique about it that you do? Um, uh, thanks. Yeah, I uh, I edit the hell out of everything I write. I think we got into some bad habits in school when a teacher would say i want you to write six pages about this cucumber mm. yeah. <laughs> you know? and you're just like i don't have six pages of anything to say about the cucumber and so you get used to coming up with nonsense to just say well that's one point of view but we can also look at another point of view because sometimes people have different points of view and we can look at it so here i am now going to present what i think might be what you know we're used to doing these nonsense words mm -hmm. but now i try to reverse that and put as few words into the public as possible so everything i write the rough draft is uh, extremely verbose. It's a mm -hmm. pile of thought garbage that I love looking at things from many different angles. So as soon as I say one thing, I challenge it and I look at it from the other point of view. And as soon as I declare something to be true, then I challenge that. And then I ask myself questions and I question my answers. And it's, you know, 80 pages of nonsense. <laughs> well, okay, well, let's do it actually, to be fair. I'll have like eight pages of nonsense. And then I'll look at the whole thing when I feel pretty exhausted on a subject and I'll say, okay, what's the essential point of what I'm trying to say here? And I'll often make a simple outline at the top that's just like, oh, five bullet points. I'm like, that's what I'm really saying. So then I'll skip the rest and just post the outline. And that's why most of my blog posts are only like, you know, 20 sentences mm -hmm. because they're basically just the outline of my thought process on the subject. I, I learned the hard way running CD Baby that the more you say, the less people hear. Meaning, if you send somebody an email that's like six paragraphs long, almost nobody's going to read the whole thing. Yep. But if you can find a way to make those six paragraphs into four sentences, yep. then they'll probably read it. They're way more likely to read it. And I learned that the hard way because I had uh, two million customers. And so when I would email everybody 
an announcement saying, hey, there's this new thing on my site that you can use. If I said that in too many sentences, like 50,000 people would reply (laughs) saying, I don't get it. How do I do it? And I'm like, it's right there in the 12th sentence. It says right there, here's how to do it. And I'm just like, well, my fault. I used too many sentences. Mm -hmm. And but it would cost me literally like, you know, you get 50,000 emails. I would have to have a staff of 25 people taking 10 days to reply to each one of those 50,000 because fuck me, I used 12 sentences, you know? (laughs) So I I learned, all right, I've got to say this in like four sentences. Otherwise, I'm going to pay the price. So yeah, there's where I got my succinctness. So we talked about vivid imagery. We talked about succinctness. Now let's talk parenting. And I'll relate this back real quick for you, Derek. So we're both dads, right? And dads ask or sorry, dads, kids ask tremendous questions. I have a six and a half year old daughter and she can ask me the most simple questions. And sometimes she asks me to explain, you know, quantum physics and I I can't wrap my head around that or let alone make it very succinct for her. Right. So these challenging questions, I try to take that and utilize that throughout my life. You know, it's the same way if I'm talking with you or a CEO of a billion dollar company, it's just explain it like I'm five. Have you heard of that concept before? (laughs) Yeah, of course. So it could be helpful for everyone. What are some insights that you've learned from your career? So we're moving a little bit beyond writing, but just from your career about entrepreneurship. And how would you explain those concepts to a five-year-old? For instance, your child, right? And have you actually started teaching your child any concept of, of entrepreneurship? Ooh, I haven't, but all right. I can tell you what I would tell him. Mm-hmm. Um, entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, well, first, I would, I would never use that word. That's an unnecessarily sure. complicated Expl- Frenchy word. Real quick, okay, explain so, that word to a five-year-old then. Right. Okay. So I'd say just do or make something that your friends really want or need. Mm-hmm. Um, do it just because you like making them happy. Um, but if it costs you something to make it, well, then you have to charge them at least what it costs you to make. Mm-hmm. And if it gets really popular and lots of people want it, you might not be able to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. So then you would teach other people how to do or make it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can make it whatever you want it to be, right? So it, you can make it so if kids, you can make it so kids pay you using funny faces or farts uh you can you can decide that mean people have to pay a million dollars but nice people get it for free um you could decide that maybe this thing you make you're going to bring it to their house or make it so that they have to come over to our house to get it um you could make it like a club so if somebody buys three things from you then they can come into your secret hiding place so I would tell my kid that really it's like inventing a new game. Uh, It's fun to see what people like and don't like. And when you're sick of it someday, you can stop. You could just stop doing it or let some other kids pay you to take it over and keep it going without you. Mm -hmm. So I love everything that you just said. And, 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 even when you started saying you could give it away for free, so we could talk about sh- your sharing model. I want to get to that in one second, though, Derek, because to take a step back, I love little side questions, right? So as we talk about parenting and teaching them, uh, what's something that you've been teaching your kiddo this year, though? And this just may resonate with all the other parents out there, right? But how old's your kid, if you don't mind sharing, and just something that you've 
taught them in the past year? He's 10. Okay. And let me think. Past year, generosity. Mm. Um, today, okay, well, let's just do this morning. Um, I just, an hour ago, uh, took him to... Uh, He's on the school holiday right now, just this week. Um, they have school holidays, so he's doing like an outside kind of um, outdoorsy kind of just play in the woods kind of program this week. So we have three pet mice in a cage. And for the first time ever, um, I just brought the pet mice to the camp uh, today. And he has one of those three that's his favorite. So he said, okay. And then the, the one that's his favorite is named Demon. So he said, okay, but I'm going to let the other kids play with the other two, but not Demon. And I said, hmm. Okay, imagine this. Imagine if you went to your thing um, and there was some kid who said, who, who brought this really cool weapon, but said, only I can use it. None of you can use it. I can hold it and you can look at me holding it, but none of you can hold it. I'd say, you would think that kid is a jerk, wouldn't you? And he goes, okay, point taken. <laughs> and I was like, so I said, yeah, let, don't worry, like be nice. I said, on the other hand, imagine if that kid with the cool sword said, hey, I've got this really cool sword. Um, here, do you want to try it? And imagine if that kid actually just let you play with his sword and like you would you would think that was a cool kid you'd want to be that kid's friend because that mm -hmm. was really nice of him to let you play with his sword right yep. so yeah you should let the kids play with demon don't worry and, <laughs> and he's like okay i'll try that so yeah he's his mice are are with him in the forest right now and i'll find out in five hours how it went awesome i love that and this is a perfect transition because another thing that i think it really resonates with me, but you can see it throughout your work. You talk about sharing, right? Giving in a way, and it's a model that you have. Now, this is very inspiring for me, especially because a few years ago, uh, I learned from an entrepreneur who said, give, 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 ask, right? You can give so much, and after a while, then you, you know, you've built up such a great relationship, you're able to kind of make an ask in some way, one way or another. So, in one of your chapters of your book, Anything You Want, which I highly recommend folks in the audience you go to check out, um, is about the co-op business model. It's sharing whatever you've got. I want to flip it for a second. And what I mean by that is when, when has someone, when have people given you something that has made a big impact on you? And why do you think people are compelled to do some of these acts of kindness just completely out of generosity? I don't expect that all the time, but some people are just givers, right? They're givers or givers. So for you, I know you, you have these business models of the co-op and sharing, but flip it. When has someone given you something that made a big impact on your life? Do you, I don't, how old are you? 37. Ah, uh, what year did you get online? Do you remember? Uh, well, my dad got me an Apple IIc when I was five or six. So 91, but that wasn't online. So 94, 95, maybe mid nineties. Okay. Were you there actually in like the early, early days, like 94, 95? Yes. Did you get yep. on? Yep, that's me. Okay. So the internet had a very different feeling back then. I remember after being on the internet for like a year when people were talking about making money on the internet, I was like, you don't make money on the internet. That's like somebody walking into a library, like how can we make some money out of this? I'm like, it's a library, relax, it's about learning. So to me, what I loved about the internet when I first got on in 1994, it was this free, generous sharing place where people would share what they've learned. There would be forums. Like at the time I was running a recording studio in New York City and 
and I was using, say, like Pro Tools or this test cam reel-to-reel thing or a Mackie deck, and you could go ask questions, and you could say, hey, my Pro Tools card isn't syncing with my USB bus, or actually, they didn't have USB, whatever. <laughs> it wasn't syncing <laughs> with my bus, and somebody was like, oh, I've had that problem. You need to adjust the word clock here. Like, try this, you know, um, here, uh, I'll... I'll I'll give me a call. Here's my phone number. I'll help walk you through it. Mm-hmm. And just total strangers would just be in there helping each other just because they felt like it or because it was often reciprocal, right? Like somebody would help me like that work out a technical thing in my recording studio. Mm-hmm. And then I would turn around and say, I figured out how to trademark my band name, which was quite hard in the mid nineties. Um, and so once I was done, I spent hours creating like a thorough, a tutorial for everybody else. Like, here's how to trademark your band name, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I did that in return. Same thing with copyright forms and stuff like that. So I think the big answer to your question first is like the generous internet. I have received so many benefits from it and all of us have. Like, we should be thankful for all these people out there that share what they know, right? Like, not just forums where people answer questions like that, but... Um, all those people in the world that are writing really helpful articles, mm-hmm. usually making no money. They just, they're only getting a little touchy-feely, feely good uh, from sharing that. Um, open source software. Oh, my God. You know, Linux, yep. SSH, uh, TCPIP, all the software that helps us talk right now is all written by people usually doing it for their own self-interest, often for free. I mean, sometimes they're employees of other companies doing it for side. Uh, on the side, but all of this software is free and it was created by like millions or billions of man hours of people doing this just because they're scratching their own itch and then sharing it for free. Oh my God, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think we should all be uh, appreciating that every day. It's very underappreciated. And to me, it has nothing to do with money. You know, to me, the payment... uh, it can be in uh, funny faces or farts, but it can also be in just the feeling of connectedness you get from sharing some software you made with the world and thousands of people using it saying thank you. That can mean way more to somebody than money. Is there one, as you think back, that just really stands out? And it could be a software tool, right? An open source, just something that in a way was given to you but that you would also pass along and say, hey, folks in the audience and whoever listens to this in the future, here's one thing that was given to me and I absolutely love it and I would easily in a heartbeat pass it on to you as well. Oh, I mean, I, it's hard for me to narrow it down. I mean, I know. the Ruby programming language, the go. SQL, the PostgreSQL database, <laughs> um, the Linux operating system, the SSH connection, like, it's, it's just, it's everything. Yeah. It's, I could just keep rattling acronyms and names all day. It's uh, I love it. I mean, even big big ones like um, the Audacity uh, audio editor, mm-hmm. the Calibre ebook software. Oh my God! Like these things are often made by one person, mm-hmm. just doing it to be nice. I love that. I absolutely love that, Derek. All right, let's keep this conversation rock and rolling. I'm having so much fun with you, Derek. You know, one thing that I was shocked to find out about you as I was just learning more and more over this time. And, you know, for folks, if you if you know about Derek or, of course, if you're learning about his story when you're a musician and you're there on stage or you're there giving a TED talk, you know, you seemed extroverted to me. 
Yet, as I found out more about you, you're very much introverted, right? So I'm. Tr this is a fascinating topic for me. And it's something that, you know, even as, as I host these conversations on Twitter and other platforms as well, uh, Twitter's come to me and other platforms and said, Adam, you're great at having conversations and helping people engage and connect. What else can you do to help pull some people out? Because there are lots of introverts out there and especially on a platform like Twitter. Now, I don't want to force anything, right? It's, it's just whatever makes people feel the most comfortable at the same time. I'm wondering, what are some of the strengths of an introvert? How do you, how do you embrace them? And then at the same time, how can introverts share or give more about themselves to the world if they wish to? Mm -hmm. Did you read the book Quiet by Susan Cain? I interviewed Susan Cain for that book uh, a year ago, September 30th, 2021. So yes, I did. All right. Cool. Okay. So what I loved about the book Quiet is that she defined introvert and extrovert not as you know you being shy or not being around other people or something, but in terms of sensory input that extroverts require eight lemon drops eight drops of lemon juice on their tongue to require the same amount of stimulation that an introvert gets from two lemon drops. Like they just measured this mm. with like, you know, neuro response or whatever. Um, so once I heard that, I went, ah, see, that makes so much more sense to me. That's why I prefer a great book to a great party. Mm -hmm. now, that's why Burning Man sounds like hell to me. Um, <laughs> because... I don't want that much stimulation. I really like ideas. I really like solitude. I really like reflection. So I think that introverts tend to come up with more interesting ideas since they're more likely to be alone and be reflective. Um, their ideas are not like crowd think, mm -hmm. you know, um, because they're often not in a crowd. They're by themselves. I think introverts... You know, give more time for quiet reflection, which is where most real learning and insight happens. I think you can take in input, but if you're not giving yourself time for reflection, then you're not really internalizing anything. You're not really coming up with your own thoughts on things if you don't put aside time for reflection. Um, so yeah, I think that you talk about the strengths of introverts. I think that most great things are created by introverts. So here's a question. It's kind of a problem solving question for you because I'll, I'll relate it back to, to Twitter, for instance, right here in this room. There was something that I read from you in the past year where I think you were talking about a party. It might have been the fact that if you're hosting a party, the even though you think the attention is on you, you can kind of defer it outward. Does that resonate with you? Does that does, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Uh -huh. I thought about when the second I read that. I click. It clicked. It made me feel like we're in this room right now. I'm sure there's introverts in the audience. I'm sure some of them have questions, but at the same time, they're not going to raise their hand. They may, they may be too shy to come up here on stage. But it made me think, okay, Adam, I'm an extrovert and I'm here. You're here on stage, Derek. What if I had a co-host, right? Which this platform is able to do. I can invite someone up. I can make you a co-host, Derek. But if I've made them a co-host, then it may not feel like the attention is all on them because Adam is here, the best of live audio, and you're here, Derek, we're asking your questions. It would still make them feel like they're part of the conversation without feeling like all the attention is on them. 
What are your thoughts on that? Does that even make sense or not? Am I just reading into it the wrong way? It makes sense, but I think it's um, I think it's a misunderstanding of the introvert motivation. I know a lot of musicians, um, and most of them are introverts, um, but yet they love being on stage, and so do I. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're on stage, you can you can control the interaction. In fact, it's really a great way to to get up on stage for one hour or two hours or whatever it may be, connect with hundreds of people in two hours, but kind of on your terms, and then you step off stage. Like you don't join the after party. <laughs> you go back to your hotel room mm-hmm. uh, and you go, ah. and it's wonderful. It's actually the, the perfect balance. Um, so I think it's um, I think it's a misunderstanding to think that introverts don't want attention or uh, don't want to be on stage. Do you have any advice? What I mean by that is I host a lot of these conversations. I bring people up from the audience. Sometimes I even get DMs saying, hey, Adam, can you ask this for me? I just don't feel comfortable on stage. But I feel like they sometimes want to. Is there something that you utilize as a tip or trick or something like that that folks here, even right now listening to you, can go to utilize whether they join another Twitter space or whether they want to go give another TED talk? You know what I mean? Yes. Okay, totally. Okay. So, sorry. The 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 subject of introvert extrovert was actually distracting because what you're asking has nothing to do with that. Um, that's just about uh, self-confidence and feeling shy and getting over yourself. So um, it helps to remember, like, for example, when you go to a party and you see a bunch, you walk into a party, imagine it's like a business event, like networking event or something that you went to and you walk in and you know nobody and you think, ugh, like, I just want somebody nice to come up to me and make a conversation so that I don't have to be the one to approach. Well, guess what? That's what most people are thinking. Everyone wants someone else to break the ice. Yeah. And once you realize that, you realize like, okay, it's not going to be pleasant for anybody um, to be the one to start. So I'm just going to do this as a favor mm-hmm. and just get over any self-confidence hurdles I may have and just do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm. So yeah, I, um, I'll tell one tiny example of that. Actual real example is, uh, the first time I ever went to Ted, like not a TEDx, but like the big giant, expensive, intimidating main stage Ted in California. I, I had this, I went in and didn't know anybody and just was like a fly on the wall and hardly talked to anybody after three days. And I left thinking, God, I really screwed that up, right? Like I spent what, $6,000 to be there and I didn't meet anybody and I watched some talks, but I really did that wrong and I'm kicking myself and I I felt so much regret. So the next time I went to Ted, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. (laughs) It's going to be really uncomfortable, but here we go. So I walked in the opening day. People are just kind of arriving, getting situated. And I just saw somebody sitting at a table alone. And I said, all right, here we go. And I walked up and I said, hi, what are you doing here? Where'd you come from? And we talked and talked and she's from Sofia, Bulgaria. And she runs a blog and she calls herself a curator. Um, And her name was Maria. We got to be friends. We hung out for the rest of the conference. And I kept doing this to people. So Maria, a lot of you know her as Maria. Well, her name is Maria Popova. A lot of you know her from her famous blog, um, Brain Pickings, which is now called the... 
Oh, I forget the new yeah, name. It's okay. It's been brain. It's been brain pickings for like a year. So Maria Popova is like super famous online in her own right, mm-hmm. and um, she was just sitting alone at a table, just kind of needing somebody else to break the ice. So it's like I'm so glad that I did that. And it's the same with a dozen other people. And I've even got a little story in my book called Your Music and People about how. I was at a music conference when I was younger, and I was just totally intimidated as a musician by all these famous people and executives that could make or break my career. But there was some dude that was just like sitting in the pool with his feet in the pool, and I just sat down next to him. I was like, <sighs> "I said it's so nice to just get out of that room." And he's like, "Yeah." We talked for a bit, and I found out later when he said goodbye that he was the vice president of A and M Records or something, and and uh, we've been friends ever since. And it just it just helps you to keep this rule of thumb. That everyone is waiting for someone else to break the ice, mm-hmm. and just take it on yourself, even though it's uncomfortable. It's the right thing to do. Same thing with asking a question here on our live Twitter thing. So, yes. some of you sitting there, I hope you're going to pipe in and ask a question. Yes, and are, are you okay with that, Derek? Would you mind if? Yeah, people... let's do it. Okay, hey folks, if you're in the audience, if you're listening, if you have a question for Derek, go ahead, raise your hand. It's that little button bottom left says request to speak. Uh, we'll have a queue, and then I'll bring you up in just a moment. And while we wait for some people to do that, I have a question about you know all of this is fantastic, and and something I've learned from you is, is using the ability to reflect. And and you once said. I'll quote you here. I feel like the reflection time is when you really learn the moment when you read somebody else's idea. That's a wow moment, but you don't really learn it until you've put aside the time to reflect on it. End quote. So wait, did I, where did I say that? I don't remember. saying. Uh, I think you actually said it in a podcast about two years ago with Shane Parrish. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I mean, yes. yeah, I think that's true. I just didn't know that I had put that into writing anywhere. So I guess I haven't yet. Sorry, um, go ahead. I think it was part of a transcript. So, or like I listened to the whole podcast and I, I noticed that I pulled it out. That's where I got it from. Awesome. Um, but it, it makes me think, okay, I love this. I want to ask you, Derek, what are you reflecting on this year? What new perspective have you been thinking about? What, what have you found and started thinking about just in, in the last year in 2022? Something that's fascinating me. Um, you know what's funny? If you would have asked this two weeks ago, mm-hmm. maybe even 10 days ago, I would have said, I don't know. And that would have been the end of that. But actually, <laughs> the idea that's currently fascinating me and has actually been fascinating me for years, but I've just decided to dive deeply into, is this idea of useful, not true. It's like a kick I've just had for years of useful, not true to me is this shorthand saying that the things that we choose to believe aren't necessarily true. Sometimes we know they're not true, but they're useful to us to believe them. And I feel that's how we should judge our beliefs is not by whether they're true or not, but whether they're useful for us. So Mm. I'll just pick an example. Mm -hmm. Um, A few years ago, I was reading a book um, about understanding how other people think. And the book made a great point when it said uh, that people often assume that the other gender is way more different from them, right? Like men think women are from, what is it, Venus, and women think men are from Mars. But his point was that the differences between men and the differences between women are much greater than the average difference between men and women. So, in fact, we... We all have a, well, most of us have a bias 
towards thinking that the other sex is alien. Mm -hmm. And so to overcome that bias, I just made, I decided to believe that men and women are the same. And I know that that's a deliberately overcompensating belief. I know they're not exactly the same, but I'm going to choose to believe that they're exactly the same to help compensate for my, you know, uh, what do you, cognitive bias or whatever you call that, mm -hmm. the, uh, the bias that assumes the opposite. So when I posted that on my site, I think, I think the article's at sive.rs slash mw for men, women. Um, uh, I like short URLs. Yeah, I know. Just, you, because I can say them out loud. Which, um, by the way, not to digress, you wrote a tremendous article on short URLs and donate domain names. I mean, you are a library of information, by the way, but please continue. <laughs> um, so when I posted that, a bunch of people got upset saying, yeah, that's not true. They're biological differences, there are differences in the brain. That's ridiculous. It's not true. And I said, I don't care that it's not true. That's not the point. You're focusing on the wrong thing. It doesn't matter whether it's true. It's whether it works for you. Maybe you have no problem with this bias. Uh, maybe you don't want to understand the other sex better and you want to just think that they're completely alien. If so, then this belief does not work for you. Fine. But for me, this is what I need. This belief works for me. Mm -hmm. I know it's not true. I'm choosing to believe it anyway. So I have like 20 more examples of this. And I was just about to post another one. Um, two weeks ago, I was posting an article about um, confabulation, which I just think is an interesting thing about people making up, excuse, making up reasons for why we do things without even understanding that those reasons aren't true. And at the end, I was just about to say... On the other hand, if the belief works for you, then it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. And I was like, oh, damn, see, there I go again. Useful <laughs> or true? This same idea has been fascinating me for years. Damn it, it's time that I dive into this. And like now I really want to understand it. So I reached out to some people I know that are actual philosophers or study philosophy. So uh, there's this woman, Sharon Kay, in University of Ohio, I think, wrote the best book I've ever found. But if you want to talk about a clear writer, look up Sharon Kay, K-A-Y-E. Um, I hope that's, I got her name right. Um, she's, if you go to my book list, it's in a recent book about like an overview of philosophy. Mm. Oh my God, the clearest writer I have ever read in my life. She's amazing. So I reached out to her after I finished the book and I just said essentially that oh my god you're the clearest writer i've ever read and thank you for existing and thank you for making this book and so i just reached out to her last week like what is this useful or true thing i'm sure that some philosopher must have dove into this and she said ah that's pragmatism go to, look at this wikipedia page look at this look into these four philosophers and learn about pragmatism and so i've just this week started diving into learning about what past people have thought about this subject, um, which appears it. to be called pragmatism. I had no idea, but I'm <laughs> learning more about it and also learning in more ways that I think it applies. For example, um, since we're talking parenting earlier, mm -hmm. kids. When kids mm -hmm. are saying like, oh no, there's a monster in the hallway. Here, hide under the couch. Like They know there's not actually a monster in the hallway, but it's fun to think that there is. Mm -hmm. um, so why is it that adult, as adults, so we shut that off and say like, well, that's not true. There's not a monster in the hallway. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, but 
I want to believe this. It's fun. In fact, why not just adopt beliefs just because they're fun? Yep. You know, like look into, you know, pick up a book on philosophy or even like a, a religion that you've never even, that you know nothing about, you know, pick up a book on Baha'i or, or Jainism or something. And why not just learn about it and see if you can adopt some of those uh, beliefs or practices just for fun, like a kid hiding under the couch. I absolutely love this, Derek. This is fantastic. Okay. I at least have one more question, but I want to make sure that we use the power of live audio and we connect with some of your fans, some of the audience members here. We've got two of them up here on stage. Quick question, Derek. I want to be very respectful of your time. I know I said 45 minutes or so. We're about five minutes away. Can you oh, run I'm a little good. long or... Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, First person I have uh, had up on stage, I think it's Tarek. Am I saying it correctly? Or if not, I'm very sorry. But thanks for joining us. What's on your mind today? Hello. Thanks for hosting the space. Big fan of Derek. Have uh, got all of his books, especially on how to live. I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal. I was reading the first chapter and I was like, Derek's lost his mind. And then I'd read the next chapter and I'd say, whoa. I just lost my mind, and then, and then I'll go back and forth. It was absolutely brilliant how you read how you wrote that book. It really confused me for me. I was like tell, screaming at my wife. So I thought I understood Derek, and then and then you you go to the next chapter, and it's like, oh, I see what he's saying here. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think your writing is absolutely clear and phenomenal. Like you said, that Kay, I, I don't know much about that lady, but I'll definitely look into it. But uh, your writing is absolutely clear as well. A question I wanted to ask, Derek, if you don't mind, is as a as a surgeon who deals with a lot of cancer and cancer diagnoses and this idea of some patients, they come in with these fantastical beliefs that, you know, I really don't need chemo. I really don't need this. I just going to, you know, do some CBD oil or I'm going to get some kind of herb, some thistle or something like this. And, and, and even though the overwhelming data show, you know, that Maybe that's not the greatest idea. Not to say you can't do that in in conjecture, but this sometimes you have these belief systems that may work, you know, if it's not sometimes with regards to a life or kind of a life or death situation. How do you reconcile, you know, a belief that may certainly help you and a belief that may certainly hurt you? Um hmm. okay. I actually used to be one of those people. <laughs> so I got my mind got changed by one single idea. And it was surprisingly shared by um, Darren Brown, the British magician, wrote a book called Tricks of the Mind. And chapter six, he used to dispel um, sloppy thinking, or I forget how he called it. But he said, he actually got on, he talked about alternative medicine. And he said, uh, The, what we call alternative medicine um, means something that hasn't been proven yet. Like he uses Reiki healing as an example. He said, if someone could prove that Reiki healing works, they would change the, the whole world. They would win the Nobel Prize. They would be a multi-billionaire. They would change the whole world. Like the stakes are extremely high to for anyone to just show that Reiki works. Unfortunately, it hasn't been proven yet. He said, I am completely open to the idea that, it, that it'll be proven someday. If somebody proves it, that would be wonderful. But it hasn't been proven yet. So he said, once something has been proven, we don't call it alternative medicine anymore. You know what we call it? Medicine. <laughs> medicine is just the collection of what's been proven to work. And he said, so this 
choice to only believe in alternative medicine is a choice to only believe what in what doesn't work. <laughs> and even though like at the like you know one minute before reading that chapter I was completely one of those people. I was just like, yeah, big business, you know, pharmaceuticals. They're trying to, they're just trying to make money off of me. They're, I don't trust any of them. I'm only going to trust alternative medicine. Um, and then one minute after reading that, I was like, oh my God, that's a great point. Like, it just like, just like that changed my mind on the subject. I was like, whoa, wow. I'd never thought about it that way. So sometimes one great idea can like that can help. And your timing is perfect because, I mean, your timing is perfect for asking this because just yesterday I was listening to a podcast, which is not a new podcast, but it's a new discovery for me. It's called Econ Talk, E-C-O-N-T-A-L-K. The host, I believe, is Russ Roberts. It is amazing. It's so good. And he brings on the amazing guests and they really get into like meaning of life type stuff and it's so good. Like, I think maybe if I ever heard of it before, I just assumed they were going to talk economics. <laughs> but, oh, my God, he's talking about life. And um, he just recently had a guest on. Um, I don't have his name right here, but it's you know, anybody who's getting uh, who uh, I don't want to, like, flip this on my phone and switch out of the app. I wouldn't be surprised if it like drops the call or something. <laughs> so instead, uh, anybody getting this, email me. Go to my website. There's a contact page. My email address is right there on it. Email me to find out the name of this podcast because just yesterday I was listening to this amazing podcast with a guy who studied the what it takes to change people's minds. And he used the exact example you're talking about. And he does something called... Um, uh, what is it called? Canvassing? I don't know. I was listening to it while driving, uh, so it, I don't have the notes, but it's like one of those things where I'm going to go get the transcript and, and get the guy's book. It, in short, he said one of the most effective things you can do is when somebody tells you a belief like that, like, I only trust acupuncture. You can just open-mindedly ask them why, and with it, you can say, well, how strongly do you believe that that is the only way, like on a scale of zero to 10. And if they say anything less than a 10, even if they say eight, you can say, oh, well, why isn't it a 10? And then they will actually give their own counter arguments, which introduces the seed of disbelief themselves without it having to come from you. So anyway, it's a fascinating idea. Anybody email me and I'll email you the link to that interview and have more details when I'm not uh, just standing up holding the phone to my face. And I think I found it, Derek. Was it David McRaney? I just Googled yes. Econ Talk and then I Googled canvassing and that's the one that pops up. Is yes. David's... Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> that's the one. David yep. McRaney on Econ Talk. Good, 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 good. Yeah. All right, folks. And I'll put some of these notes together as well. So if you're interested, oh. follow along and I'll and, post it out later and I'll send it to you too, Derek. And while you're at it, by the way, I did look up. Um, the book, and yes, it's uh, that I was mentioning the clearest writer I've ever read, Sharon K. So S H A R O N space K A Y E, and the book of hers that I read is called Philosophy: A Complete Introduction. And just oh my god, the clearest writer you'll ever read. I highly recommend it. Love it, love it. Great question. So thank you for asking, and let's keep moving this along. This is a fantastic conversation, Andy. You've been waiting so patiently. Thank you so much. What's on your mind? Thank you so much. Um, hey, Derek, this is Andy, and we've talked through email a while back. Um, you're my favorite writer. And Thanks. 
the question that I have today is around creative processes. So I'm curious, like, how has your creative process evolved over over the past couple of years? Um, I know this is kind of like a broad question, and it's different for everyone. So I would love to like hear how we can learn from your journey of finding a process that works for you, especially as someone starting out. Um, thank you. Well, sorry, can I ask you to um, give more detail? Like, when, when you say creative process on just particularly writing an article or everything, or how do you mean? Yeah, I, I mean, like, in general, but, like, at, specifically, I think, I guess, writing, because I think I want, also want to write more, too. So, like, I think that's what I want to learn. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, yeah, this I can talk about. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like I said earlier when... Um, he was asking about my rough draft. Oh, sorry. When, when I was talking about my rough draft versus my succinct final output. So I highly recommend um, picking any subject that interests you um, and just opening a text document and just looking at it from every angle. Just keep your fingers on the keys. Keep moving. Don't stop to get distracted, even if you kind of want to surf the web to look to see what somebody else has to say on this subject, just take a second and imagine what somebody else might say on this subject. Imagine what somebody the opposite of you might say on this subject, somebody from an opposite uh, demographic or frame of mind. Um, and just keep writing. And the most important thing is to keep asking yourself questions. Like whenever you say, um, you know, I like sunny days because uh, I like the blue sky. And the next thing you'd say, well, is that really true? Like, really? Is that really the reason the blue sky? Like, if it was a red sky, I wouldn't like it anymore? Or have I ever enjoyed a day where there were clouds in the sky? Yes, I, so what might it be? It might be something else. That, um, and then you come up with many, many options of things it could be. And you try to get to the essence of it. Um, and again, when even along the way, you'll come up with some answered so you start questioning those also um this is just like a little hack i should write about more soon it really helps to write more in questions than in answers like um i was feeling frustrated a few months ago and scheduled a call with a wise person i know and before the call i had to ask myself like what is it that i really want to ask him is it about something like um is that really the problem um Am I expecting him to have some insight into this? Do I need a particular insight into this? What do I really need? Do I need an answer or do I need more perspectives? How can I get more perspectives? <laughs> Where do perspectives come from? Aren't they just, haven't I read enough in the past that I could come up with perspectives myself? And do you hear that's like the entire, like six pages in my journal was only questions. Like literally every line ended in a question mark. Um, and I found that so much more useful than writing answers where we feel this premature need to come to some conclusion. Let's get this done with. Let's let's finish this up. Let's decide the answer. Instead, no, you keep it open as long as you can and you keep looking at the opposite side. And then, kind of like I said earlier, only after you feel completely exhausted on the subject, then you say like, okay, well, what have I learned? <laughs> what's, what's the gist that would be worth sharing with someone else? And then you just share that bit. You kind of summarize it and share the summary. That's my main creative process for what it's worth. Got it. Thank you so much. That reminds me of your article on like, how do you ask your mentors for help? Um, it's yes. <laughs> Very similar.
Yeah, this awesome. Is, thank you. Yeah, thank Thanks. you, Andy. Great question. All right. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I have one more question for you, Derek, and it's a goofy little thing, but it's actually the way I noticed you many, many years ago. I was listening to all of Tim Ferriss's podcasts, and the thing that you brought up, which is popular, you already know about it, is the best email you've ever written. And so for folks in the audience, just a quick rundown. This is something that, Derek, you used when you were running CD Baby, and it was something that you were sending as an automated email uh, after you know someone made an order or they were for customer shipments. And if you don't mind me reading real quickly, and then I'll get to yeah. my question, you said, you know, this was me Putting, it's you putting it into the email. You said, your CD has been gently taken from our CD baby shelves with sterilized contamination-free gloves and placed onto a satin pillow. A team of 50 employees inspected your CD and polished it to make sure it was in the best possible condition before mailing. Our packing specialist from Japan lit a candle and a hush fell over the crowd as you put your CD into the finest gold line box that money can buy. We all had a wonderful celebration afterwards and the whole party marched down the street to the post office where the entire town of Portland waved bon voyage to your package on its way to you in our private CD baby jet on this day, Friday the 6th or whatever it may have been. And holy cow, Derek, this changed my world and obviously led me down a rabbit hole of all the things that you create. I absolutely love it. So I had a different question for this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I hope that's okay. If you could come up with something like that for this room right now, for the listeners that are in here, and they're very special. There's only there's only so many of us here listening to you live at the moment. I'm curious if you were to come up with something at the top of your head as kind of a, a goodbye, a bon voyage message to all of us here in this room right now. Is that something that you can do on the fly? And if so, what might it sound like as we all say goodbye today? <laughs> yeah, anybody can. Um, I think it's not that special. It's just weird that, sorry, I'm being a little meta about your question, but it's when you asked what I would tell my kid mm-hmm. about entrepreneurship, you heard I was really emphasizing the importance of just doing it however you want. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to imitate others. And I think a lot of us have this insecurity when we do something, we just look around where we say, well, I want to do a podcast. How are other people doing podcasts? Well, okay, I should just do it like this. Well, what kind of microphone is everybody else using? Well, I guess I should use that black mm-hmm. cylinder microphone that everybody uses. Uh, I want to be a YouTuber. How do you, okay, I guess I should kind of get a room and just put some bookshelves in the background and a plant and some dim lighting. I mean, that's what everybody does. Um, I want to make a business. How should I do it? I guess I should just do it like everybody else does. And it's really sad, I think, to have this uh, monoculture in any given field where everybody's just doing it like everybody else. Oh, God, I look over my kid's shoulder when he's on YouTube and that thing of reaction videos of just like every little screen capture has to be like somebody's face going, oh, you know, <laughs> with the open mouth and looking surprised. And it's like every single person's doing that. And um, no, so I think the real, it's not that that email I came up with is so amazing because it's not, it's just a little bit of, you know, it took me five minutes, a bit, a bit of fluff, but it's just, the lesson was that you don't have to be normal. You could just do things however you want. So yeah, I think if, if I was to just do a, an unusual uh, goodbye here, I just tell everybody, all right, everybody shut up, hang up, <laughs> you put your phone down, turn it off, walk away, ignore all this, get outside, please just delete Twitter from your phones. It's, it's not helping you. It's hurting you. Stop it. 
delete your accounts, <laughs> get off Gmail, stop, you know, like, goodbye, please hang up, turn off your devices, walk away, go away. I love it. I love it. And for the record, folks, by the way, Derek, it, it took me over a year of us talking and you're finally here. I'm so excited. But you messaged me the other day and you said, for the record, this is the first time I've downloaded a social media app and you will probably delete yeah. it right after this. So I'm going to. There you I, go. I was not happy about it. But I'm like, all right, uh, Adam, I'll do it for you. You did it for me. So I installed Twitter yesterday. Yep. You did it for all of us. I'm going here. to delete it in one minute. You did it for all of us, Derek, and we greatly appreciate it. This has been fantastic. I always like to recap everything that we covered today. I mean, there's so many great insights about storytelling and utilizing vivid imagery. Of course, writing succinctly and editing the heck out of your work. We talked about entrepreneurship and teaching our kiddos about generosity and sharing. We talked about introversion and breaking the ice. We talked about reflection and uh, what you said being useful, not true. You Folks, you can dive into it. I'm recording this so you can, you can listen again later. Uh, we talked about alternative medicine. We talked about creative processes. I mean, holy cow, we talked about a lot. And then finally, at the end, you don't have to imitate others. Derek Sivers, this is an absolute pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me. And anybody, of course, just send me an email. Go to my website, send an email and say hello. He will really respond. I can guarantee it. All right, Derek, go delete that app. I really appreciate this once again. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope everyone had fun. And again, my name is Adam Soklich, also known as the best of live audio. I'm glad everyone joined today. And thank you again, Derek Sivers. Thanks, Adam. Take care. Bye. This is the best podcast. BEST stands for Business, Entrepreneurship, Startups, and Technology. I'm your host, Adam Soklich, and each week we talk live on social media platforms like Twitter Spaces so that you can stay up to date with the latest news and stories, learn the greatest tools and tactics, and gain some of the best opportunities to connect with new people. Special guests include top founders, CEOs, and experts. Plus, the audience is always full of fascinating people. Even Elon Musk recently tuned in. All of our conversations are educating, entertaining, and engaging with the mission to help you succeed. So follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, tune in live to the best podcast. Let's talk soon.